Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Bucket List Gamers. I'm once again joined by my co-host Eddie. Hello. And I am Jay, just in case you didn't already know that. And today we've got a triple header for you. And it's definitely not because we don't have a lot to say about them. It's more because they fit together quite well. So today we will be looking at number 97 on the list, which is Super Castlevania 4. Number 27 on the list, which is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And number 23, which is Super Metroid. I'd say we've got a little bit more to say about the latter than the former two, but we will kick off in order. So we will start with Super Castlevania 4, which was released in 1991 for the SNES. Yeah, and it's sort of... This is where you sort of get given rise to the Metroidvania namesake for the unification of those two uh, titles. You, You sort of get it in... Super Metroid. Um, it doesn't do very good world exploration outside of very linear combat. Can't say that I'm a massive fan of Castlevania as a series. To be quite honest with you, it's probably going to um, get me some ire from the uh, from the listeners. But uh, yeah, it's not one of the series I have much fondness for. I'll be honest with you. I have played them, but not really got much out of it. To be fair, it was one I never had access to. So because I had a Game Gear and. I could be wrong. I don't think there was a Castlevania for Game Gear, and if there was, I certainly didn't have it. So I'd heard a lot about it from people with um, Super Nintendos, and I think there was... Was there a Mega Drive one at some point? Yeah, I think um, so. So I'd, I'd heard about it from other people, but it wasn't one. And and same for Metroid, to be fair. I'd, I never had Metroid when I was growing up, because I never had a Nintendo console other than a Game Boy. So until I think it was when you gave me Metroid Prime for GameCube... For my birthday, I didn't actually own a Metroid game or had played any of them. I've since gone back and played them, not just for the podcast, but just to play them. And yeah, it's I don't know if it's because I don't have that core memory of it, playing it when I was younger, or whether they're just not my kind of game, because I did have games that were similar. Some of the Shinobis are a bit similar in, in exploration of the levels, especially the Game Gear one, which I don't think gets mentioned very often. I had a game called Chakan. On the, on the Game Gear, which never gets mentioned, which was a little bit similar in that you could take multiple paths to get where you were going. And it was a fighting game where you could upgrade weapons and that kind of thing. But no, never had a lot of involvement with these. So they don't hold a particularly special place in my heart. And going back to Super Castlevania for... I don't think it probably would have done even if I'd have played it back then. It's, it's a bit of a chore to play, I think is the nicest way to describe it. Yeah, I... I mean, I get the I get the uh, notion that a lot of games back then were a chore to play, but you dealt with it because that was all you had, and it was amazing because of the graphics and stuff like that. But because of the lack of nostalgia that I have, it it is such a chore to play. the The controls are sticky, and if you know what I'm trying to say, it, it's the jumps are a little bit. It takes you a good hard press of the A button to jump. And it just doesn't seem very responsive. I get it's from 1991. It's not going to be fast-paced. But when you see what they did between Castlevania 4 and Castlevania Symphony of the Night, the control scheme has just been... The game's been upped quite significantly. And to (laughs) retroactively go back and play Super Castlevania, it is painful, to say the least. I think, yeah, the the jump-in 
you never feel confident you're going to make a jump, even the tiniest little jumps, because Simon Belmont doesn't jump forward, does he? He jumps right up in the air and then sort of floats forward a little bit as he comes down. That's how it feels to me. So you never you never overshoot a jump, that's for certain, because you can't. There's not enough momentum on a jump, or you wouldn't think there is. I'm sure there's, there's sections of the games where it's tight platforming, you probably can. But yeah, I just didn't like it. it Sticky is a good word for it, or clunky. It's just, you don't feel, it feels like there's massive input lag, even though there isn't. It's almost like they've programmed input lag into the game as part of the control scheme, and it just doesn't feel crisp and and like it's responding to what you're doing. And I think, as we just said before we started recording, the biggest crime for me on it is the knockback. So every time you get touched, you fly across the screen. And a lot of it is jumping across water or gaps, which if you fall in them, it's instant death. So the the, the only times I think I died playing it for recording this podcast, all my deaths were just falling into water. It was very rare. It was because I got beaten up too badly by enemies. It was all, oh, they've knocked me into the water again. And then you have to go right back to the start of that area. And I think, is it three or four deaths and that's it? And you're just back to the start of the game. So it's very unforgiving, even for the time. I mean, I know a lot of games like it. It did remind me a lot of um, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah. And that level of difficulty and the, the similar knockback and even the map at the beginning, because you follow a map up through where you start up to the castle, which looks practically the same as Ghouls and Ghosts or is it Ghosts and Goblins. There was a couple, weren't they? I always mix the two names up, but they're practically the same game. But yeah, that it, it was very reminiscent of playing that, and I just couldn't get into it at all. The, the whip mechanics are better than the original, obviously, I'll say that, but it's not saying much. And there's this weird thing they've put in it where if you hold the attack button down, you can sort of just waggle it around, but it doesn't really do anything, and I don't understand why that's there, unless it comes into play later in the game and you can do something with it. It just limply like flicks about, and I don't know if an enemy comes near whether it would kill it or not, but I was like, why is that a thing? Why have they left that? Because it, it's quite jarring sometimes, because you'll hit attack and go to carry on walking, and because you're still holding attack, he just stands there waggling this chain around, and I just don't get the, the design choice on that one, but I suppose none of, none of the control scheme choices on it are particularly good, so... <laughs> and I get that sort of, like, lives in games were were a big thing at the time they were big in sonic and and what have you and but you also get health bar that's sort of broken down into cubes and when you get hit you lose a portion of your health but like you say you fall down a hole that's your entire health bar just depleted and you lose a life which which i find a really bizarre um design choice did did happen in sonic but it wasn't there wasn't that level of knockback and there wasn't pits literally everywhere there'd be like the odd pit per level which you could if you went low enough on the level like layout you could fall into but on castlevania i'd say what 40% of it is jumping on little platforms over pits while you're getting swarmed by enemies and if a single one of them touches you that's it you you're going to fly off into a at, at best you'll fly a few platforms backwards and at worst you'll be right back to the start of the level with one life left and then plod through it again and and while we're on the subject of the life bar, completely baffles me the the fact that hearts aren't health. Yeah. That one takes me absolutely ages to get my head around because I was collecting them all and I'm thinking, why am I dying? I'm collecting so many hearts. But hearts aren't health, are they? They're, and they're not currency. They're like, are they, are they practically mana? Yeah, essentially. Special moves, aren't they? Which I, 
again, I don't really understand that design choice. It's like, oh, hearts, which is like health in every other game. We're going to use it instead of a blue potion for mana. And the blue potion will give you health if you take one of those. <laughs> just like they went, this is what every other game's doing. So we're just going to do opposite just to, just for a, a laugh. So I didn't appreciate that. And that carries on throughout the whole series as well, doesn't it? That doesn't change. Hearts are always something to collect to be able to do special moves, or at least in the ones that I've played. At no point are they ever health. And to get health, you have to dig food out of walls and stuff like that, which, again, bizarre, which I think has become a running joke with Castlevania, isn't it? That he willingly eats like a pork chop that he's found in a wall that's probably been there for 100 years. And But no, not a lot of love for Castlevania 4 from me. I... It's it's playable, and I think back then when games were difficult like that, you, you would have stuck with it, you would have had no choice, because that would have cost you 40 quid. And as a kid, you didn't get that many games, so it's one of those that I bet kids of, kids of the time that had it will know that first level, like the back of the hand, because they'll have played it so many times that it just becomes second nature, and, and you do get better at it, but you can't account for the sort of RNG of the enemies flying at you and, and knocking you into pits and things, and I don't know. It's it's not the worst game I've ever played. Let's put it that way. And I I did enjoy playing it for the nostalgia factor of it, but I don't think it's one that I would go back. Especially after playing Symphony of the Night, I don't think I could go back to it now. Yeah, they they made some marked improvements when they moved moved to Symphony of the Night. I get Symphony of the Night was PS One, so we're a generation further on. PS One did eventually get analog sticks, didn't it? On the um pads mm. so you can sort of tell that that's sort of building up to the introduction of the joy cons as we know them because the control schemes a lot smoother i mean don't get me wrong i think it's alucard isn't it in um symphony yeah, yeah. of the night which i as a little side note the japanese really need to give up on thinking that they're clever by using the name Alucard because it's Dracula backwards. Everyone does it now. Everyone does it. But the thing yeah. is, though, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have even been a surprise back then because in the opening like text scroll, they put the two words next to each other practically, like one above each other on two rows. So if you're not smart enough to look at it and go, "Oh yeah, that's that backwards look," then I'm surprised you've been able to turn the console on. Never mind anything else. <laughs> Yeah, um, so you can... He's, he's still dramatic. He, he gets hit by an enemy, he goes sailing merrily backwards off the screen, and it's back at that point of gaming where you didn't have tracking camera along with you. It was sort of... You had a small section of level that took up your screen. You then moved on to the next bit, and your enemies and your... Not procedurally generated, but the level generated onto the new screen and you moved on. So if you got hit and you got knocked back onto the previous screen, all the enemies respawned. So you ended up in this endless cycle of getting hit and smacked around the place by wolves, um, just knocking you between screens and getting no progress and just getting very frustrated. Uh, yeah, I like a lot of what Symphony Night's done, and we'll come on to that in a second. But to go back to Super Castlevania, didn't realise until we, we had a look at that it's actually a remake of the first one. I just assumed it was a very close continuation of the story because they all look very similar and they all, I mean, I say follow a similar plot. There's not 
an awful lot of plot in the earlier ones, not compared to the later ones anyway, that have got Star Wars-style text scrolls, as you put it last week, to, to do all the backfilling of the story, and then, which you can't skip. But again, we'll get to Symphony of the Night in a moment. I, I just don't... I don't know what's... We'll, we'll get Castlevania 4 out of the way, because we've not a lot to say about it. I know people will love it, because they've had that Stockholm Syndrome level of playing it for for hours and on, on end when they were kids because they had nothing else to play but for me going back to it at this stage i just yeah i don't think it's great it does surprise me that the, the franchise did as well as it did with the controls that it's got in that game but i suppose that's a testament to the fact it does look really good for the time it looks in, in a, a time when all snes games were like quite pretty and cartoony and super bright colors and and like curvy and that kind of thing to get a game that looks quite dark and gloomy but look really nice at the same time i think it was a bit different and i wonder if that's why it garnered the audience it did because it was a bit more grown up than a lot of the stuff that you could get on nintendo at the time yeah i'd probably say so um and i don't think the series ever really did itself any favors with trying to compete it did similar things to other games, just didn't do them as well. Um, and I think that's that's probably where the series fell down, really. I think, I mean, if we if Simon's Quest had been in this book, one, I would have been amazed. But two, we'd have had a lot more to talk about because I think that game is absolutely bizarre, isn't it? Just some of the choices in that where you're expected to know to duck next to a wall with a ruby in your pocket for five minutes and then a whirlwind will come and take you to the next level. And, and that level of what the hell's going on and how do you actually expect people because there was meant to be clues weren't there from the villagers but they were all that badly translated you can't really work them out so it was just a guessing game for english-speaking people playing simon's quest and to to go from that and still manage to recover the series enough to get into where they are now or even make super castlevania 4 i think is quite an achievement because if you released a game the level of Simon's Quest in this day and age I think you'd struggle to get another game made in that franchise I think it'd kill it so there's that going for it but Super Castlevania 4 out of 100 let's get it out of the way nice and quickly I'm letting you go first on this one because I really don't know where to gauge it I'm, I'm giving it I'm giving it like a 50 50 50 I, I can't say it's lighting me on fire but it's not even that influential really i wouldn't say it's it one it's a remake and and not a particularly good one i'd say the original was quite influential in that it was not the first of its kind but it was something relatively new back then and and like i say a bit more grown up than what you expected to get on nintendo so if it was the first castlevania then yeah, probably say it's quite influential. But like you say, this was just... It was like one of the first cash-ins, wasn't it? Oh, we've got yeah. the SNES now. Let's just remake the first one and make it look nicer. Which these days, when Skyrim does that for the millionth time, people moan about it, don't they? But somehow that one's managed to get 94 in the top 100. So, I mean, just to compare it to what we've already looked at, we've got Tetris at 35, Pac-Man at 47. And then we jumped to Pokemon at 71. So, I don't know, 50 sounds a bit high now. Look at it this way. If if you were captured by 
revolutionaries and forced to play something, I'd rather play Castlevania 4 than I would Tetris or Pac-Man. Yeah, that's fair. Because at least the ability to stand and press and hold A and waggle your whip around may provide some sort of distraction. Well, it'd be comical, I suppose. You're right, yeah, the waggling whip. I'll go with 50 then. Yeah, I'll... I'll bow to your greater judgment on that one. Given that Pac-Man's so close on 47, I will go with 50 for Super Castlevania 4. So with that out of the way, let's get on to a far better game. Number 27 in the list, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So you're looking at six years later, which sounds like a lot, but it's crazy to think that you went from that level of SNES to like the PS1 in six years. And the the standard of it is... I mean, there was another PS1 game before it, wasn't there? Uh, Rondo of Blood. So they'd done a bit of work. But even that, I think, controls quite well. I've not played it for a while. But I think that had the control improvements. And then this just went to the next level. Because this was the first one where they binned off the whip. So up until this point, I think all the Castlevania games, your main weapon's a whip. And then you get a sub-weapon, which is like Holy Water or the Cross or the Knife. This was the first one where you don't... Well, you can get a whip, I think. But you don't have the whip as your standard weapon. You can change what weapon you use based on what you collect. So it was a bit of a departure from the series in that regard and i don't know if that's why it didn't do as well when it launched because it was quite different but they incorporated rpg elements into it to make it easier for new players at least according to the developer that's why they did it it was meant to be to to sort of ingratiate new players and and you can sort of see it because when you start the game you super powered up you start the game with all of Alucard's powers and all and like a really good weapon and armor and that kind of thing. And it's one of those where you bump into someone and they strip you of it all and you have to start collecting it all again, which usually annoys me in games when they do that, when they give you a little taste of how good it could be and then you have to build it all back up again. But in this one, it sort of works in with the storyline and everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it did baffle me a bit in the first sort of minute I was running through and battering everything with this weapon and then I picked up like a sackcloth piece of armour and I thought oh I've got a new armour I'll change it and then I went to change it it was absolutely garbage compared to what I got and I was like why would it give me this now and then lo and behold like two rooms later I got stripped of everything and I can't even kill a little plant but it works here and I think Alucard is a good main character definitely more interesting than the Belmonts anyway yeah, he's a bit broody and a bit miffed at his dad. Um, it's just the general story of it. He's got a bit of a narc on, um, and one of the Belmonts has gone missing in Dracula's castle, and he's gone to rescue him, to or he's gone to investigate what's happened with him, sort of thing. Um, but to your point on the, the losing your weapons and armor and having to start anew, um, it, it sort of sets up how the Metroid series means to go on, really, because Metroid has leaned into that really heavily. Because um, obviously, linear story progression would say that whatever you acquire in Metroid 1, you should be able to have in Metroid 2, Metroid 3. And they obviously come up with different reasons why she can't use them, or she gets the, her suit blown off her, and she ends up having to go back and refine them all. But it does raise the question of, in both series, to be honest with you, why they're there in the house anyway. The the abilities are existing within the house if he already is in possession of them. Just very mm. weird. Yeah, true. Yeah, why 
unless the death because it's death I think that takes it all off you in in Castlevania does he go and scatter them about just for a laugh or <laughs> were they just waiting there in case this happened but I like I like Alucard he's he's got like you said a lot more fluid movement than than Simon Belmont in Castlevania 4 and that is probably just the advancements in technology rather than it's a character trait but his jump feels a lot more crisp and precise and his his attacks are quite you can time them quite well and you can block if you've got a shield you've got the back dash which I always struggle to use and I've seen people use it perfectly but I just never think to use it so I charge in and just get hit over and over again. It's a frustrating game because you have to find save rooms all the time. If you don't find save rooms you're going to lose a lot of progress. So you you end up memorizing where all the save rooms are and you'll get so far and think oh, I've done quite a lot and I've picked quite a lot up I'm going to have to double back and just save it. But in doubling back like Eddie says as soon as you go onto another screen all the enemies come back. So if you've beaten something particularly strong between where you are and a save room you have to then decide is it worth going back and trying to beat that again or hoping there's a save room in the next screen. So it gives you that dilemma when you're playing through it. But the amount of progress I've lost, even just playing it over the past couple of days, because you can get it on Xbox uh, Marketplace. So I picked it up on there to, to play through. The amount of progress I've lost just because I was too pig-headed to use a potion or go back to a save room. So I've just carried on and thought, oh, I'll be fine. And then a random Medusa head or something just smacked me and knocked me off a ledge and that's it. I'm dead. So again, brutal and, and not the, the most player-friendly, even if they have introduced these RPG elements to help lesser experienced players i don't think that works particularly well i enjoy i enjoy it i do like the rpg aspect of it where you can change your weapons in and out for ones with longer reach or more power but i don't think it makes it any easier for anyone it just gives you a choice of how you play some people like to play at a long distance some people like to get in close yeah it's a good mechanic i think it works for that game and i think they developed it further in in the ds ones so you get a lot more different weapons in that with different abilities and different swing arcs and all that kind of thing. So it was a good basis for that. And I did enjoy it infinitely more than Castlevania 4. Yeah, and it this is where you start leaning over into the non-linear map for Castle Dracula. Um, obviously, you, you can explore as much as your abilities will physically allow you to. Um, however, you will get to certain points in the game where it just goes, nope. You haven't got the right ability or you haven't got the right key. So then you have to backtrack round through this labyrinthine mess of a map trying to find the small door that you've missed somewhere or having to back th- backtrack through a previously explored area because you're like, oh, I remember there was a key that had that same colour from the thing I've just picked up and it's it's another hour and a half trudge through backtracking through other areas that are so low level now. But yeah, the enemies hit you like a truck in this as well. Even even the first, like, I think one of the base enemies in the game is just like a massive werewolf. The first thing you encounter, those huge wolves, and if you get one hit on them, like you say, they're dead. But if they get a hit on you, you're in trouble. So you have to get in and get out quick. But even to your point there, the zombies that pop up out the floor, they still take a chunk of your health away when they touch you. It's not like it's nothing. And they tend to spawn in like dozens in rooms. They just keep popping up. So you can easily get overwhelmed. And some enemies have annoying attack patterns. So there's skeletons that will launch three bones up in the air, but they won't launch them all in the same place. They'll spread. So you have to know where to be to 
to get in and get a hit off without getting caught. And the first boss I encountered, which I assume is the first boss you meant to encounter, was like a mirror image of myself. And he battered me because he's really quick. He's as quick as you are, but he pinned me in a corner and just kept slashing me until I was dead. And I was like, right, I need different strategy here. So you can get sub weapons. So this is a big thing in Castlevania, isn't it? The the uh, the sub weapons that you get. So I think it's followed through pretty much all of them. There's like a cross, there's holy water, there's this one's got more, I think, in it than I've seen in other games. So there's a knife, an axe, and they all attack in different ways. Uh, salt, a diamond that just pings around, which I'd never seen before until playing this one, and a clock that slows time down. Oh, and a book, like a, a Bible that will whiz around you and form a protective shield. But they're all, it, it's again, it depends on your playstyle. Some of them I don't like at all. Like the the um, holy water, I don't see the point of it because there's salt, which seems to be a lot more effective. So already I don't know why you go with that unless you need it for another part of the game that I've not got to yet. But the axe has got quite a big arc, so you need to position yourself. And it's good if you climbing vertically, but not so great if you're on horizontal. So you can swap these out and you find them randomly in candles and that kind of thing. But it is quite irritating because they don't stay on the screen for very long once you swap them. You do get the chance to swap straight back, but they blink out of existence after a couple of seconds. So unless you're really quick, you can end up getting stitched up with something you really don't want when you were quite happy with the thing you had before. And I've stuck with the salt mainly because it's it goes in an arc, but then it stays on the floor. So if they walk on it, it'll kill them as well. So yeah, my knowledge on Castlevania is not amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm more familiar with the DS games than I am this, but I can see a lot of what got developed in them got, got their grounding in Symphony of the Night. So on the DS ones, you collect souls and you can equip souls for different powers, which you then need to use to progress in the game in certain points so like there's for example in one of them there's a puppet soul and you can throw a puppet through a hole in a wall and then transport yourself to where it is so you need that soul to be able to progress whereas some of them are just a benefit one of them gives you more attack power if you attack from behind for example so it's really varied in that and this you can see is the forerunner for that you can see where they've taken the ideas in symphony night and gone we can make these even better in, in this next one. And rather than just having a familiar that follows you around in Symphony of the Night, they've gone whole hog and gone, oh, collect all the souls and you can use their powers. So I, I enjoyed it to see where that had come from, as I say, because I was more familiar with those games than I was this one. But I really enjoyed it. It's one that I think I'll carry on playing. And I say that every week. I'm getting a right stack of games mounting up that I said I'm going to carry on playing and then I've not been back to. But I think I will with this one because I am curious to see if I can get better at it, because at the minute I'm terrible. But I think it's one of those things that'll come. The more you play it, you'll get more used to it. And if I can just find a better weapon, that's the thing that keeps pushing me forward. I keep thinking, if I can just find a better weapon, I'll be a lot better at it. So it's one of those games that does have an addictive quality to it, even when you die and lose loads of progress. At one point, I did get frustrated and turn it off because I had lost about 25 minutes of progress because I just didn't happen to stumble upon a save room. But other than that, Every time I died, I've gone, no, I'm going to give it another go, see if I can get past the bit that's just beating me. And I think that's a great sign in a game to have that ability to keep people engaged even when they fail. Yeah, it's it's part of the reason why Dark Souls is quite as successful as it is, really. Um, and I think probably Castlevania Symphony of the Night is probably like quite influential in developing Dark Souls, to be honest, in the Dark Souls series. Because, um, like you say, you you get that sort of semi-euphoric 
hooray moment when you beat a boss or and and you walk into a save room and there is that oh thank god um <laughs> so uh, which again is reflected in dark souls when you do beat one of the gigantic bosses or where you find a bonfire after trudging through god knows how long worth of a level so yeah i can sort of see the progression they've made from there and how that would have influenced the design of dark souls overall really is there anything else you'd like to say on symphony before we give it a score um only that it's really bad at explaining stuff yeah i'm glad you said that actually because that was something i was going to mention I didn't realise until I was about half an hour in that there's combo moves. It's only because I went on the how to play to try and figure out what the blue bar was for because I just noticed that it was never draining even when I was using my special. So like, oh, I wonder what the blue bar's for. And then it's like, oh yeah, there's like Street Fighter levels of difficulty combo moves that you can just randomly pull off if you want to. And I've managed to do three and that was literally by just waggling the analog stick about and pressing attack and it actually managed to trigger them. But I don't know what any of them... One of them shot fireballs, which was quite useful. But one of them was like... I'm sure it said, like, demon mode activated, and I didn't notice any difference other than I was glowing red. And that lasted for until I died, so I don't know what that actually did or whether it's useful or... But yeah, it is not, like you said, there's not much explanation to it, is there? No, um, to the point where you, you can pick up items like the power jump and uh, there's a special wolf attack and it's just like, mm, I'm going to tell you how to use it <laughs> at all. And to the point where you can go all the way to the final boss room, defeat the final boss, and you can get an ending, but it's not the good ending, in inverted commas. So you have to have done quite esoteric, arbitrary things throughout the plot again in inverted commas and if you do those things and then get to the final boss you then unlock the second half of the game so you can play through it play eight hours worth of a game think yay beat the final boss but as long if you haven't done these specific things in a specific order you're missing out on another eight hours worth of gameplay (laughs) which again thanks for explaining it to the plot as well the one thing I was going to mention is the voice acting in it. I think yeah. it's worth its mention all on its own. Because some of it is horrific. Like I know it's it's kitschy and, and quirky. It's like Resident Evil has this B-movie style voice acting in a lot of the early ones. But this is on another level. Like, and, and some of the things they say, I assume it's translation issues. Because one of the women at the beginning, I can't, I can't remember exactly what she says, but it doesn't even make sense. It's like, what do here or something? And she's trying to ask, like, what are you doing here? But the way she phrases it isn't that question. And the answers are as if that's exactly what she's asked. But again, another thing that winds me up about it, especially when you can die so easily, you can't skip cutscenes or dialogue. You have to sit and watch them. So you have to sit and watch the text trail at the beginning because the first time I played it, I died before I even found the save room. So I had to sit through the whole beginning again. And then, yeah, if you die and you've, gone through a dialogue room you have to sit through the same dialogue room again and there are some that are fairly long they're not just a couple of sentences some of them so i don't like that i think there should be a press a to skip especially on the remastered in inverted commas xbox version you'd think they'd have at least had the courtesy to implement that on there but yeah other than that i've quite enjoyed it and i think it's difficult but in a rewarding way whereas the castlevania 4 is difficult in a 
this hasn't been programmed particularly well away. And I think that's the big difference between the two. Yeah. Um, again, going back to the if I was taken hostage, I'd, I'd much rather play Castlevania Symphony of the Night than any of its predecessors, to be fair. To be fair, I'd rather play it than most of its successors because it even go- gets to a point um, on the 360 where it goes 3D um, and you get three-dimensional Castlevania, which doesn't really work. And if there are rare occasions when it does work and we will get on to one of them later in the list but they also try and mash in shadow of the colossus as well sort of influence um and from your face there you're not a massive fan of shadow of the colossus unfortunately it's one of my favorite games (laughs) well i might just sit that week out and you can just talk for an hour because i will not be bringing good vibes to that one i'll tell you that for a start now one to look forward to in terms of Castlevania, though, yeah, I agree. I'd pick this one over most of the others. I'd probably pick the DS ones just because they've got a bit more to them. And I like a good old collectathon, especially when it's random. So collecting the spirit, uh, the souls in, in the DS ones, I could just sit and do it all day. Like jump off a screen, go back in, attack until I get one. And most people find that frustrating. But for me, that's one of the things I really loved about it. So for me, I'd pick those if I had to pick any Castlevania game. But this, like I said, you can see it's got its roots in it. And provided it doesn't get too frustrating later on in the game, because I'm not massively far in and I've not played it for years, then, yeah, I'm I'm willing to give it probably go with like a 65. Ooh, I was thinking the exact same thing. 65. Oh, there you go. We'll go 65, then a consensus was reached fairly easily on that one. Which leaves us with the last one in the list, which Eddie's grinning about already. I can see him on the camera beaming about this. <laughs> Super Metroid from 1994. One again I didn't have any experience with in my youth because I didn't have... I think I probably played it at friends, but not for very long. Because it's not one of those games you would necessarily break out when your friends around, is it? There was other games on... Uh, SNES that Mario that's sort of two player and a lot of sports titles and that kind of thing so Goof Troop that was another good good multiplayer one that didn't get in the list which is again disappointing because I think that deserves to be up there it's a cracking game but this wasn't ever one it's like oh do you want to come around and play Metroid it was more of a solo experience wasn't it yeah and it was as a series it was never as successful as Zelda and Mario which is sad really because when you think of Nintendo flagships um, and you look at the likes of Smash Brothers, you do think Zelda, Mario, Metroid. Um, granted, people throw in stuff like you know Pokemon and things like that, but from like the NES game, I think it's been on pretty much every one of their platforms, but it's just never done particularly well as a franchise. But Super Metroid's just the epitome of what the series is about. Um, So it does follow directly on from Metroid 2 Return of Samus, in as far as Samus has pretty much got rid of all the Metroids, which becomes a point of contention later on in the series when all the Metroids are dead, (laughs) and the series is still called Metroid for some reason. But then I suppose we call it The Legend of Zelda, and Zelda does make like she's not in quite a decent number of them which then raises confusions of is the little lad in the green hat zelda but we'll get on to that most people think so don't they but 
They do it on quite a lot of games that I've noticed, Nintendo. Metroid, but it's not Metroid that you play as. Zelda, but it's not Zelda that you play as. I mean, they nailed it on Mario, I suppose. Well, yeah. that one. And, and Kirby. But <laughs> I think there's quite a few. I, I remember I saw somebody doing a video the other day about it and saying they got into a real habit of naming games after things that aren't the main character in the game. And yeah, Zelda and Metroid are the two most obvious, but I think there's a few more. Yeah, it's a strange idea, that. Especially the Zelda one, which I'm sure we'll discuss when we come to other Zelda games, but to name it after the person you're rescuing rather than the person that you play as was a bit of a strange one. Like You, you wouldn't play Super Peach, would you? Although that did come out later on, it wasn't a bad yeah. game. It's probably because Zelda's a princess and Link's essentially a peasant. Um, they were probably like, ah, oh, he can't have, he can't have a legend. He's just a, he's just a poor lad with a sword. She's the queen or princess. The legend of Link sounds weird, but I don't know if it would have sounded weird if that's what we'd always had. Yeah, especially when you get stuff like the legend of Link, a link to the past. I mean, I appreciate mm. the pun on the in the wordplay, but <laughs> it's the alliteration as well. People yeah. get annoyed with that. But yes, I do, I do have a soft spot for Metroid, uh, particularly Super Metroid, because I had a SNES, and I remember going into... It wasn't even game at the time. Um, I can't even remember what the game stores were back then. Um, uh, Electronics Boutique. EB. It will have been it will have been EB Games. And they had the box for Super Metroid, and it was the size of a laptop. It was huge. Bear in mind that the cartridge is, well, the cartridge size. Um, so they weren't particularly massive cartridges, and you've got like a little tiny A5 guidebook in it. But then the rest of it was just a box, and it was huge. And I remember, God knows how old I was, about 10 probably, looking at it going, I really want that game. I really want that game. Saved up for it. Saved all my birthday money. Saved all my Christmas money went in in the New Year's sales and it had gone and I was gutted <laughs> properly oh, gutted that, about it that must have some value on it now oh I'd say so got the big box version the SNES games came in little like, A5 boxes didn't they as a rule yeah they were like the N64 ones yeah so yeah that's strange like these days that would have like a full size Samus helmet in it and it would yeah. be about 500 quid but back then it was just nice to have a big box for something that's, yeah, we were easily play. We were like cats when we were kids, weren't we? Just <laughs> stick it in a nice box, they'll lap it up. But yeah, so to go back to the Metroid, um, plays very differently to Castlevania in in terms of it's very long range. Samus is armed permanently, no pun intended, with a cannon that is functions instead of her right arm. Essentially, um, you do get given a sort of grapple beam um, in Super Metroid that you can use to traverse using your left arm, but the predominant use of attacks is missiles, blaster shots, ice beams, that sort of thing. So it's very projectile-based. And some of the bosses are frustrating, not to the point of Castlevania, but them not having a particularly obvious weak spot because Nintendo are pretty good at that as well. They're pretty good at sellotaping a massive glowing weak spot on it, which is usually a hit this three times and it'll die. You don't get that. They sort of have like an invisible health bar that as you're shooting them in the weak spot, the health bar slowly ticks down um, until they die. 
um, and then you get unlockable weapons which unlock other doors which you have to backtrack through same with symphony of the night where you're having to backtrack through old levels because you've now acquired a missile or a suit that allows you to withstand the heat of lava but yeah it's kind of why i like metroid really particularly super metroid i think what you said about castlevania applies here as well and i don't know if this is because of instruction manuals because we're in a world now where instruction manuals don't exist and it's very unlikely you even get a guide on some games these days you just you have a tutorial don't you and that's that's your instruction manual these days back then you got a little like you say a5 book that talked you through it all so part of the joy of going and buying a new game was sitting in the car on the way home and flicking through the the manual and reading up about what you were going to be playing which is one of the things i used to love and we used to we used to go shopping every friday to a, a big super like mall i suppose you'd class it as in america and i'd usually pester for a game and i wouldn't get one most of the time but i'd go into i think it's called virtual reality the shop that we used to go into and i'd be like oh can i have this game usually it was a no but sometimes if i'd pestered enough i'd I'd get my way and i'd get one but then we always used to go to my auntie's on the way home for like two hours and it used to kill me going there for like can we go home now can we go home now and my mum's like nope we're staying for a bit longer and I was like, I really want to play my game and I'm not going to have time when we get home now. I used to be fuming. So it got to the point because it was a Game Gear, I just used to take it with me everywhere I went and then if I got a new game, I could just start playing it straight away. Provided I had like 25 AA batteries to keep it going for longer than 10 minutes. But yeah, to your point about the Castlevania not explaining things, Metroid doesn't at all. But I'm assuming it does in the instruction manual. But because I've got it on the virtual console, I don't have the instruction manual, and it might be in the menus, I didn't look, I probably should have done. But there's bits in it where it just gives you no advice whatsoever. So the first thing you encounter is a pink door, and all the other doors you've shot and they've just opened, or you go near them and they open. The pink one doesn't, and you have to figure out that you need to hit it with five missiles, not even one. So the the amount of kids that must have just shot one missile and gone, oh, it's not opened, and just carry on, whereas you have to actually shoot five at it. So figuring all that out as a kid... I'm surprised we managed it as easy as we did, but it just sort of became second nature in games like that, didn't it, that you figured out what to do, and you didn't need a hand-holding tutorial to literally go, oh, and here's how you shoot your gun, and here's how you open a door and things, which you get these days, which have gone completely the opposite way. I, I would like to petition for nice, pretty manuals in games again. Just I, like you say, you got a nice A5 little... Some of them were chunky as well. Some of them were like proper chunky little volumes that you could flick through. They had artwork in. They taught you the basics of the game. And I think since, I mean, probably around about the 360 era, PS360, they slowly phased out manuals. Because I know that I've had a load for the GameCube. I had loads that had proper chunky manuals in there. And they had them for the N64, because I've still got. Majora and Ocarina still boxed. And I know they still did them in like DS games as well. I think when they realised that they could get away with putting it on the disc because they had enough space to put a manual on the disc or they had the functionality on a console to let you look at a manual separate to the game, they went, oh, well, that's cheaper and that's easier and it's we're doing our bit for the environment because we're not printing off big leaflets to put in every game. But it's inconvenient sometimes. Like Some of the old manuals used to have maps and stuff in, didn't they? 
before they realised that they could sell you a strategy guide with the map in for another 15 quid. Whereas now, if that, even if that is in the manual, you have to come out of the game, you have to go into the manual, you have to open it up, take a look at it, close it down, go back to the game, oh, I want another look at it now, open the manual on the screen. Whereas before, you could have the book next to you and go, right, I'm here, and I want to go there. So I go left, up, left, on Zelda, for example. Uh, and it was just so much more convenient. And like they used to make a big deal of them, didn't they? Like was it the Mario's, it would tell you all the names of the enemies and little personality traits about them and all that kind of thing, which was completely unnecessary. But it was nice to have. And yeah, it was something to do when you weren't playing the game. So like I say, when I was sat in the back of the car on the way home for 20 minutes, I'd get the manual out and I'd flick through it and read all the backstory and try and figure out the controls based on what it said before I even started playing. And yeah, we've lost that a lot these days and it's... It's sort of sad that we have, but then I suppose in the society we live in now where everybody wants everything yesterday, people wouldn't read them anyway. They'd just chuck them and that's it. You wouldn't get, they wouldn't get used. So it's sad, but it's sort of expected, I suppose. But yeah, there's a lot of guesswork in Metroid. And I've noticed that a lot of the time, because I only really properly got into it this week, played it in the past, picked it up, put it down when it's been on the SNES Mini and that kind of thing. But I've never really sat and played it and thought, I'm going to try and finish this. There's a lot of the time when you get stuck, like completely stuck, and it doesn't tell you how you can even get out of an area you fell into. So you'll like fall down a hole. And then there's a way to get out of it, but you don't know what it is. And you have to go around literally bombing everything, trying to find a wall that might break or something like that. And it's fun, but it can get frustrating. There are a few times when I've had to look up a guide to figure out how to get past something because I've just had no idea. And I'm pretty sure there must be bits in it where you can soft lock yourself because i've fell into an area where you need super bombs to get out of and there are no super bombs in that area and luckily i had some on me but i don't know if you didn't have any left by that point i don't know how you'd actually get out of it and there must be a way they wouldn't have programmed full-on soft locks into it surely i mean nin- nintendo are not averse to making games where you can soft lock yourself quite easily i think i think it's i think it's actually pokemon gold and silver, you can soft lock your progress in that because if you go, if you manage to get down to the island where you're going to pick up um, the medicine for the Ampharos in the lighthouse, so if you go all the way down there and you release the only Pokemon in your party that can use Surf, you don't have Fly at that point, so you are literally soft locked on this sodding island, and you can't, you have to restart your game or hope that you haven't saved since you got rid of your tentacle. Maybe maybe you can soft lock yourself in Metroid, but I'm about halfway through it, I think, and I have really enjoyed it. I've killed two of the four bosses. I think there's four bosses, isn't there? Spread out across it. Um, but I'm at a point now where I don't know where to go, and I've just been going around in a loop trying to figure it out, and I'm sure it's really obvious, but I just can't. I've, I keep going to a place thinking, oh, I've not been down there before, and then I go down and there'll just be a barrier that I can't get past anyway. I'm like, right, that's another dead end. And then you sort of, like Eddie said, you have to. there's no warps in it, so you have to track all the way back to the other side of the map if you think it's over there, only to find, oh, no, can't go through this bit either. And I know for a fact, because I've just got the ice beam, the, or the I've just got the grappling hook thing, there'll be somewhere I can grapple that I've missed, and that'll be the next bit of progression, but at the minute I'm struggling to find it. So, But again, it's not frustrated me to the point that I want to stop playing it, which is a testament to the game. Every time a game 
does that, I think it's a really good sign that it's not frustrating you enough to stop playing it, even though it is causing you massive amounts of annoyance trying to figure out where to go. So I've enjoyed it, and I think it's it's made me realise why that franchise has done as well as it has, even though it's not done as well as the other two big names. It's so completely removed from what they are that people that are fans of it are always going to be a fan of that, that kind of game, and it's got its own audience, and it'll always do well enough to make another one because they just re-released it didn't they was it was it super metroid that they re-released prime was it yeah they re-released metroid prime they did a remaster for the switch which i have bought because i I love metroid prime it's brilliant is that is it metroid dread metroid dread um was for the switch as well um that's done really well um and that's gone back to its roots so it's not a remake, it's like a brand new game. I thought it was a like a remaster of Super Metroid. No, no, it's it's the latest um right, issue okay. in the series sort of thing. So um it's the most recent plot point for Samus herself. And yeah, it's gone back to its roots. So for three games, the Metroid Prime trilogy, it went to three D. Metroid Prime really good. Metroid Prime two okay, not Amazing. Metroid Prime 3, very, very good again. And they've just taken it back to basics and made it fully explorative. But with enemies that you can't kill, hence the dread part of it. So it does give you, it gives you proper anxiety when you're faced down with these robots that missiles and um, blaster shots have no effect on. Um, And you're having to (laughs) literally run away from them like the very, very macho bounty hunter that you are, although Samus is a girl. Shock. Well, yeah, there's spoilers. Spoilers, Eddie, for anyone who's not heard that one yet. Yeah, that was a big thing, weren't it? Like yeah. When, when it finally got revealed that when the suit came off. And like you were saying earlier on, when you said, oh, you can get your suit, when that's the explanation for how you lose all your powers. Oh, she got a suit blown off. You wouldn't be able to get away with that these days, based on some of the stuff that's been happening surrounding Resident Evil 4 recently. Because I don't know if you've seen the the booting off around Resident Evil 4 because Ashley's now got trousers on. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Why? Because people want to look up a skirt from the bottom of a ladder. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So one half of the internet saying, oh, this is a good thing because it's... She shouldn't have a skirt on in this day and age, rah, rah, rah. And the other half's going, oh, I want to look up a skirt, and I can't anymore. And the... <laughs> the t- <laughs> neither, neither argument really should be a thing, but they both are, and these people are just fighting with each other. Like, And, and it's on PC, so obviously somebody's edited in the skirt within about five minutes. So if, if they really do want to do that, and I don't know what pleasure they gain from it, then they can go and do it. But yeah, if you if you did a game now where it started off with a woman getting all the clothes blown off, I think you'd, <laughs> yeah. you'd be in trouble. I mean, aside from it sounding like a Benny Hill sketch or something, yeah. it, you just wouldn't get away with it. People would be like, you can't do that to her. You need to come up with a different way for her to lose all her gear. Although, so, um, with you saying that about Resident Evil 4, there was um, the other piece of news that has dropped on that the, the poor woman that does the voice acting for Ada Wong has had to come off Instagram because of nutters. And there's no polite way of putting it. If you're out there, you know who you are, you are nutters, and it is literally because you are a faceless name on the internet. 
And that is the only reason people do this anymore, because it's easier than going up to someone's face and telling them in person. But they've basically just been badgering her because of her performance in Resident Evil 4. And they've said she, her specifically, has ruined the game for them. And if you're if you're getting that what some of the voice acting in the original Resident Evil 4 was an <laughs> atrocity. I didn't think she was that bad either. Like she's not terrible. She's she's passable, especially for a Resident Evil game. But I I read somewhere that somebody had claimed she wasn't Asian enough. <laughs> and she's the first Asian to play Ada in, in any of the games. So it's just yeah. it's beyond belief that some of the stuff people come out with and I don't want to incite the ire of all these nutters that you've just gone off on. So I'll just say, yeah, just do what you want, but just don't ruin other people's lives over it. Just leave them alone. If you don't like it, don't play it or turn the music down or revoice it yourself if you really want to. But if you're getting all bent out of shape about a game that's as good as Resident Evil 4 Remake is because somebody's voice upsets you a little bit, then there's no hope for you, is what I'd say. The the people that do this sort of thing, though, are the kind of talentless spod that, if they were given the option to do it, they wouldn't do a better job. That's the problem. Mm. It, it's ire out of someone that is a complete talentless vacuum of an individual. And it's like, she's doing what she's paid to do. Okay, she's had to tone down the flirtatious B-movie camp because it is a more serious iteration of the game. So, but that's but not to her say choice, that... is it? <laughs> no, that's but not her decision. She... She's not gone in and gone, I'm not reading this. It's too saucy. Rewrite it. She's just read what she's been given. But to say that her, as an individual, are the reason that Resident Evil 4 is unplayable and she sapped all your enjoyment out of it, get a grip. Just get a grip. What? Like you said, they wouldn't do a better job. Well, no, they wouldn't because I'd say the majority of them are 20-odd-year-old neckbeards that live in the parents' basement and they wouldn't be able to sound like an Asian woman anyway, would they? So they may as well just stay out of it and just play the game and enjoy it. So we've, we've drifted massively, of course. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get back to Super Metroid because we're running out of time. So we need to give a verdict on this one. I have a feeling you're going to put it higher than I am just because of that lovely story about you seeing the big box when you were 10 and having that nostalgia factor for it that I don't have. But I am willing to admit that I did really enjoy it. So looking at what we've already done and where we've already put things, I'd probably put it around 72, 73. Okay. I was going to say 74, 75. So happy to compromise. So we'll go 74, which puts it one point above Mass Effect. But yeah, I think that's a fair score. Probably some minds it'll deserve a little bit more because it was one of the best in the series and it's gone on to create games that I know you personally love in, in Metro Prime. But I think it's it's about where it needs to be on our list. Um, in terms of where they've got it on theirs, 23 I think is, is fair. It's one of the few ones I'll say is probably about fair for where it deserves to be. And same for the other two. Castlevania Symphony of the Night 27 may be a little bit high, but not out of this world high. Super Castlevania 4, I could have done without it being on the list. But yeah. 94, how it's higher than Pokemon Gold is a bit of a travesty. But it is what it is. We've already explained the limitations of this list and why we should take it all with a pinch of salt. So I think, yeah, it's fine. They've not, they've not been too insulting with those ratings. So next week, we've not discussed this. Have you any thoughts on 
what we want to look at next week, or are we going to take it away and, and surprise everyone again? I'm I'm saying Shenmue. I I just mm. honestly want to get it out of the way. <laughs> I've I've spent too much money on it to only play it for a week. I need to get some. I need to clock some hours on it before I can. If I hadn't have spent as much as I had on it, then yeah, fair enough. But I need more time to to fully digest it. I've got to find my Dreamcast for a start. I don't even know where that is, so that could take me the best part of a week to dig that out. I was thinking, get Shadow of the Colossus out of the way. Okay, yeah, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus then. Something for you all to look forward to. The fantastic Shadow of the Colossus. And Ico. And Ico. I've never played in. Never played Ico, so I mean, it can't be worse than Shadow of the Colossus. Spoilers. <laughs> looking at Eddie's face and he is not happy about that comment so I think I'd best go before he just logs off so with that said that's another episode in the bag and until next one that's bye from me and it's goodbye from me goodbye from me